guys, welcome back to another episode of Arsenio's ESL Podcast. Man, I got the blue background right over here. <laughs> things going on around here. And today, I got Veronica. Yes, Veronica has come on before. And we talked about a wide variety of things. We did the uh, self-sabotage series. And then I brought her on initially as the very first Russian to come on to my ESL Podcast. And here she is, back again. Veronica, thank you so much for coming on. Um, thanks, Arsenia. I appreciate our um, connection and uh, <laughs> the friendship that we've built through time uh, this year, actually, right? Like, I know. <laughs> we've shared a lot together. <laughs> <laughs> and it's awesome. I still remember, um, was it Luke that I met you through or Isabel? Luke. Luke, gotcha. Okay. <gasps> you okay. have an Isabel I don't know about. Isabel Hunt. You know Isabel Hunt, right? How come you didn't? You never told me about Isabel. <laughs> oh, she's making it sound like she's making it sound like me and Veronica, like me and her together. Anyways, guys, she's funny. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> Isabel is Mary, by the way. But nonetheless, oh my goodness gracious, this is a good one. Uh, first and foremost, I've already given my congratulations to you. You've achieved everything. You've gotten your passport, your Canadian passport. And you had to do that partly with some IELTS, if I'm not mistaken. Is there, no, you didn't have to take IELTS general training to get your, because in America, it's kind of like that with TOEFL. In America, you need to do TOEFL. In Canada, yeah. you have a choice, right? I think you can do CELPIP and you can do IELTS. CELPIP is a local Canadian exam. Apparently, it's easier than IELTS, but I disagree. Is, is that right? So what, what, what's on the exam specifically with that? I've never heard of it. Um, as far as I remember, for CELPIP, the structure is similar to IELTS. The only difference is that you type. All of the answers is you type. It sounds like TOEFL. Um, I'm more an old school because I write by hand. So for me, it is uh, easier to record the answers as well as write essays because I think much faster than I type. I but see. I think, but I write fast enough to actually write my thoughts down. I see. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's what you had to do on IELTS, which we're going to be getting into it today is a specific aspect and obviously going back to the whole okay so Canada you do need to take something to um what is it you have to take some a, a test specifically to get the passport just as well as America so oh my god so today is a very interesting aspect we're going to be focusing on IELTS general training the last time I taught IELTS general training it was a Vietnamese guy I still I forgot his name but he would show up, he would cancel on day, he would show up late, and he just didn't seem to understand anything. I'm like, do you understand? Do you understand? Every time we did something, he would get 25% of the questions right. I'm like, you're not understanding. And he wouldn't give me much feedback, and he would just nod his head and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're really not going to pass this. And he was trying to work in Canada, as a matter of fact. So, <laughs> what a coincidence. <laughs> I was like, yeah, good luck with that. He had a very good job, but he was just a little bit off. So, when we talk about IELTS general training, you ended up choosing this. Uh, and so, there are four specific areas of general training. Um, how long did you prepare for the test? 
Well, to be honest, um, as already, you already might know, but your audience doesn't know, I did IELTS multiple times. So I did IELTS twice, um, and I did academic IELTS. Mm -hmm. But right before I was uh, living in Russia, it was during my high school. Believe it or not, it was freaking 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, good times. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so I did prepare a lot for those ones because it was my first time I was freaking out. I never did it before. I was never in an English environment in my entire life. So I did it from scratch. For this specific one, I did general IELTS to get my uh, documents uh, in Canada. And I have not prepared for this one at all. No preparation. And now when you, you took those academic IELTS back in Russia, of course, um, and this one general training. So why didn't you prepare? Is it because you were like, yeah, IELTS, please. I can speak English. It's interesting you ask that. So I think I was overly confident in myself. <laughs> right, right. Um, it's, it's a situation when you spend enough time in an English-speaking country and uh, you get recognition for your writing skills, you kind of assume that your speaking is fine, and uh, you understand that you get it how people speak. Right. So the only thing that's left is actually confidence in your own abilities, believe it or not. Mm. I think it's more of a mental uh, when it comes to exams like that, as well as understanding the mechanics of IELTS. For people who never done IELTS before, of course, I highly recommend to prepare because you got to know the techniques. It's the same as if you go to school and you have a multiple choice exam. So you can pass the multiple choice exam without knowing the right answers, as long as you know the mechanics of how to answer it, or the sentences, or the grammar, same thing applies to IELTS. It's all about mechanics and techniques. So for the first timers, I recommend to do that, especially if it's academic. Highly recommend to prepare for that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, even though there is not much difference, to be honest with you, between academic and general. But for general, I gambled. I was overly confident. <laughs> now the thing is dating back to when you took the academic how can you compare the both reading styles because you said again they were similar but the reading was a little bit different and then you know you took the reading on general and boom it was a big smack in the face and you were like oh no so what exactly yeah how can you compare those different types because I remember seeing them myself sure so um when it comes to reading, I find personally for me that the most, the most hardest part is uh, reading. And um, it depends on the tasks. There are different types of tasks that you can do. Some of them are super easy to fulfill. Like but which some one? of uh, Which ones? Uh, uh, put in the word, uh, true, oh. false, um, yes or no. Um, advertisements like uh, paint as advertisements Th those are easy but there are some like you have to read a paragraph 
and another paragraph, and then combined with the right titles, and there are more titles than actually of the paragraphs. Headings. So, yeah, headings. And if you don't prepare for that, because you need to quickly analyze the first two sentences of each paragraph, but sometimes, depending on the topic, if you're not familiar with the topic, that's right. the time if you didn't prep for those uh, mechanically, you might screw up on this exercise. And that's where I screwed up as an academic, as in my general test, believe it or not. So I screwed up both in the same, in the same heading section, in academic and in general, guilty as charged. Um, I should have prepped for that better. <laughs> <laughs> and so when, when it comes to headings, I swear that, I wouldn't say it's the most difficult, but I think there's something called word list. Now word list is basically you get a paragraph and it's all paraphrase. So you have to find now this paragraph within the text could be scattered over a number of paragraphs or it could be just the bottom paragraph, depending on what type of test you have. But I do, some people find it the easiest, but I find it the most difficult to teach. So nonetheless, you had headings and so, Again, you being overly confident, you being an English-speaking country, you're like, you know what, I'm going to be able to bang this out, but you got a 6.5. You're not so disappointed because, again, you still got an 8 overall, but nonetheless, if we go into the listening, you got a 9. Now, obviously, you being in Canada, this would be very, very easy for you, although you did not prepare, but what, what, why, is it, do you think, why is it you think that you got a 9, and were there any, like, problems or like maybe section three or section four you were like oh my god what's happening here what's happening oh my god did you there was no problem whatsoever i will be quite bold there was no problem whatsoever because <laughs> okay. um as i said general general when you do aisles multiple times you have you get the mechanics it kind of gets in engraved in your dna when i did my first aisles i was scared to death i was passing that aisles exam it was my birthday believe it or not 8 freaking a.m in another town another town with other 300 students that were passing aisles with me at the same time i was sitting in the freaking last row listening for aisles tape on a cassette tape not even on a disc, but on a cassette tape. You couldn't imagine the sound. And it was in a, one of the universities back then right. when I was passing that exam. So I was freaked out. And that tension, that stress that I've put myself into still led to me getting 6.5 overall on my first IELTS exam without wow. me being uh, outside Russia whatsoever. So that's still good. But I was shaking because I've read the reviews. Oh, that guy is bad. He's going to fail you on exam. Or like if you don't know the topic, if you, don't, um, if you, if you use complicated words, don't use highly, highly difficult words because they might not count them right. And just by overreading and uh, over listening too much of other people the first exam was um i don't know i probably lost like five k five kilograms after i left the exam that's how much like my sweater was bad i was just soaking wet that was my first exam <laughs> my last exam 
which is like this one that I recently passed, as you know, whatever. Right. I finished university in Canada. I've been here for quite some time. I'm a full-time employee in a company. I am worthy of a high number. Mm. And I just went with it, even without a single hesitation. But yes, I would have, sh- I should have prepared for reading, damn reading. And yeah, that's the only thing. I think it's all mental, but honestly, it is all mental. It's all the pressure. It's about finding that right balance. Because for writing, it was quite easy. What was the when, writing? Can you, can you give us a rundown of what the writing was about? Because I remember this is three years ago for me. Okay, so for general, the first one was a letter. Um, so oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I got a letter from a friend who was talking about her life, and I needed to tell her my advice mm-hmm. on her problem while also incorporating uh, what's going on in my life and where have I been recently. So yeah, that's what I needed to write about in mm-hmm. the first part. In the second part, it was an essay. And I don't remember the topic for an essay. Uh, uh, it's okay. It's okay. How many words? 250 words? Yeah, 250 words. Oh, 150. Yeah. Okay. okay. No, no. Two, so oh, 250. 250. 250. Okay. So it's still. Okay. But you see, it, it becomes easy. Once you, uh, once you study in university, when you write proposals like 4,000 words, it just be, 200 words become nothing. But, but how was that when you were living in Russia and you were learning English in general? Like... When did you begin to start, when, when were you able to start writing like, like formidable, like, like, like big essays, like in English? When was it, do you remember a time where you're like, man, the narrative, no, por- no, no problem, five paragraph, four paragraph, uh, paragraph narrative or opinion essay or argumentative, do you remember? Like, because it should yeah. be difficult as, well, no, not anymore, but as a child, as a child in Russia, oh my God, it could be daunting. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting you asked that because thanks for putting my attention to opinionative essays and argumentative essays because those are the types that are actually in IELTS exam. And I think my first um, IELTS had an argumentative essays. I had to write an argumentative essay on um, two advantages and one disadvantage of a problem. It was something related to environment back then. So I'm not, I don't, but I remember it was environment um, essay. Uh, speaking of the essay, uh, when did I learn to write? I was in grade five and I learned to write essays in English. But the problem for me, the biggest problem for me was because I was perfect in writing Russian essays, I used Russian grammar structure onto English structure. So I was, I was literally, um, writing <laughs> um, Russian, uh, how to say it? Um, I was the, the, the speaking syntax Russian through English, language. like the right. syntax, yeah. And no English speaker would understand that because it sounds like a novel. While in English language, when it's an opinionative and argumentative essay, it has to be dry. It has to be, here is a problem. Um, it is generally perceived that this essay is going to argue this point of view. This is a thesis, full stop. And then 
first body paragraph, second body paragraph, third body paragraph, if necessary, and then conclusion without giving any additional information on top, as far as I remember, like the basic hamburger structure. Right. Russians are not like that. We write like eight pages right away. So that's something that was difficult for me to learn when I was preparing files, and I only had uh, um, one and a half, two months to prepare for my first IELTS exam academic. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. That's interesting to say the least. I mean, that's kind of like me learning Spanish. And when I used to learn Spanish, you're like, oh, you have to rewrite it the, the different way or it has to be like switched around. And I'm like, why? They're like, well, English is the only language where you write things backwards versus the rest of the languages. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? It took me a long time to understand that. But, oh, man. <laughs> interested to say the least. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm really interested in the speaking aspect of this. I'm going to dive into the speaking okay. because here you are. Now, again, if we compare two worlds, you doing the academic from you doing the general, much different, right? You had to sit across from someone while you were doing that academic. Were they from Russia or were they someone else from, was it a foreigner? Because oh that my could God. be very, uh, you can, probably can't remember. That's a good question. I don't remember for my first exam. Okay, okay. Uh, I remember I forgot the word street and I freaked out on exam. I was so freaked out because I needed to talk about uh, my favorite building on the street in the city I grew up on. And I forgot the word street. And the, the, um, the guy who, to, who accepted um, uh, the examiner, he was so kind. Like he saw that I've, he sees that I know the word and he's trying to redirect me with the questions to the word street. And I'm like, you know, this line with like cars and like a road and there are cars then on the side of that line that are like buildings and like the street. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a word. <laughs> I was freaking out. Uh, when I was talking to him, it was scary because in the, my, my first exam, I was literally cal calculating each and every word I was saying. I was trying, I was like, I imagined I had the vocabulary in my head, like an encyclopedia of words. Yeah. And once I was given a topic, like I had this alert, boom, I have this many minutes, uh, the best words that that I have all of the synonyms for one word that I had in my head, I tried to use them as much as I could. There in you go, sentence. instead of recycling, good, okay. Yeah, yeah. For this exam, what freaked me out the most a little bit, it was of course an English speaker. Uh, and where I got concerned is that when questions be uh, became related to political news, and when the questions actually turned into uh, political about me talking about political news about Russia and USA. So we were discussing that topic and I felt a little bit scared and uncomfortable inside because um, it was on the record, right? So I didn't, I didn't, I don't know. Watch the out, boy. Putin, you know what I'm saying? Putin, boom, you know what I mean? Okay. It's not about the Putin, honestly. It's about how the examiner actually perceives the uh, political situation, right? Wow. You don't know if the human's bias yeah. uh, can affect your score. Oh my and, God, that's terrible. And it also, it also depends who checks your writing as well. It also depends for examiner. That's really important to take into account when you write and when you speak. Oh who is going to talk? 
I don't know if you if you teach that uh, to your students, but that's the key to successful IELTS exam. Well, the thing is, to be honest with you, I remember four or five years ago when I first met this deranged animal. His name was Paul. He was a teacher, apparently. I don't, I don't even know how that happened. But he w used to teach IELTS, right? And he told me, I remember my student told me that they were asking her questions about something political. So I go back and I reiterate it and report it to this little group of teachers that I used to work with. They're like, no, and of course, British teacher. He's like, no, no, they're, no, they're not able. No, no, there's no way that they can, they can't ask you those types of questions. I'm like, how are you going to tell me what I just heard from a student who just took the test? And I thought that was a no-go zone in terms of asking anything about politics. Now, they can reword the question and say, so what do you think about Thailand's transportation woes and what do you think is going to happen in the future, this and that? That's okay. But you can't ask about like straight, straightforward, you know, red shirt, yellow shirt, which the, the organizations, the, the different parties they have in this country, because that can lead to, again, like you said, bias. So I'm shocked. I'm shocked that that specific examiner even asked that. And I can't believe it even went on the record. Just, uh, just amazing. I, I don't know. Um, so how were you able to tread carefully? Oh. Where you, you just had to tiptoe it like, like the ice was cracking. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to like deep eyes. I was trying to just get away from the answer. I knew it's not the best thing. Okay. Tip to your audience. It's not the best thing to do, mm -hmm. but if you want to have your ass saved, it's the best way out, uh, which gave me eight, but otherwise I think I would go to nine. But anyway, um, the thing so is, this was in Canada or this was in, this was in, this was in Canada, not in Russia. Yeah. So it, it, I had to, I switched my talk, I believe, uh, from politics between two countries to a neutral ground, talking about how those two countries treat other territories, something like that, because I needed to think on my feet, and I chose to talk about the oldest news, not about the recent ones, because also on top of that, they have a question, what is the recent political news that you're aware of? If you don't, if you haven't read any recent political news, a student can be caught on the spot because, oh, damn, I haven't read the news today. And it just locks their mental, yeah. uh, their mindset, and they freak out when, when they can talk about anything else. Well, exactly. The most recent you heard, that most recent could be four years ago. Exactly. You see what I mean? But it's still, I mean, that's the most recent. You can't knock me. You can't give me a bad grade because I don't watch the news you know? Oh my God. And so I'm surprised that that happened in Canada. I would have expected that to possibly happen in Russia, but I mean, what kind of, what, what, what kind of problems did, is happening between Canada and Russia at the moment? I just know that. The prime oh, I think it was an accident actually how the topic appeared because it started from simple questions of politics. And as long as you don't go into that area, as long as you as a person who answers the questions, if you don't uh, go into the area of specificity about a specific country, yep. you will not step on that um, 
I forgot how that instrument uh, is called when a funny cartoon character steps on it and it hits it into the face. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I just had that cartoon run right up. That was like a bunch of money. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, God. And was that in part three? Or you said simple questions. So was that like a part one? I think I had only two parts. I don't remember. Maybe it was so fast. Yeah, maybe it was so fast that um, it's just uh, didn't hit me yet. <laughs> right. Right. I don't remember honestly. I went in. My speaking was uh, on the day before my actual exam mm -hmm. for general, mm -hmm. and then the next day I had I had the full three parts first three parts exam. Well, for the academic, I had the exam first, and then I had to move to another university location for speaking. Ah, I see, I see. Oh, my God. Okay, so you, ooh, that could have been a very, very stressful moment. And in that technique, you were like, okay, I'm just going to go around it this way and answer it this way. Um, in moments of high stress, in any of the exams you've ever taken, what are some things that you do to, like, take a step back? because one thing can lead to another, then 10 questions can be gone very quickly. So what, what are, what's something that you do in like moments of high stress? Paraphrasing a question for yourself on the spot gives you about three to four seconds to come up with an answer to it in your mm -hmm. head. So it gives you I enough do. time to elapse and take the control of the situation. Um, it is possible to address the examiner, but only make sure if he's in, or he, he or she is in a good mood, because not many of them uh, appreciate you asking them questions, because they are assessing how you can talk on the topic and for how long. Right. Uh, they look at your vocabulary, but they don't look at um, how skillful you are in making a conversation. But I'm just shocked because I can't believe you got, again, an eight in speaking. You, given the variety of words you use, the sentence structures, how you can handle a conversation, there's absolutely no way. I, I, feel, I feel like eight is a, it's criminal. That doesn't make any sense. Like, I've seen students out here get seven to 7.5, and they're not even nearly as close as what you are, you know, in speaking English. So I don't know. I, I guess, you know, depends on how you answer the question, obviously. And maybe he was just baiting you into some BS and you answered it this way. And that's probably why you got to eat. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm just hypothesizing, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I appreciate you thinking about me. But again, as I said, I'm not greedy about that. Uh -huh. Exams are just ways to get to the goal you have. And your goal is always higher than right. that. If you really wanted the exam to prove your English, I would say go and speak to an English speaker. Then you will prove to yourself if you can actually make a conversation. Here is your IELTS exam. Absolutely, and that's the and that's the biggest key for everyone who's listening out there. Um, and IELTS a, a test is a test. That's it. It doesn't measure you whatsoever. I'm sorry. It just measures how you prepared for it and how good you are at memorizing. So for all the calculus G whizzies out there at John Hopkins and Duke, no offense to you guys, but you guys are just excellent at memorizing. <laughs> I'm sorry. When it comes to practicality, you have zero. No offense. I mean, some of you might. Some of you might. Okay. Some of you might. But I'm just saying from a personal perspective that people who go to junior colleges have more practical skills than, 
you know, uh, than some of the Ivy League students out there because they're more, they're taught theory based, you know, and so, I mean, that's why they're trying to play catch up right now, but it's a little bit too late. So nonetheless, oh my God. So what did this, you know, you getting your results, of course, you already know you achieved your, what was the result that you needed? Was there a specific score that you needed from the general training? Uh, 6.0. Overall. <laughs> so of course you didn't even look at you probably saw the results like one week later yeah okay yep i already knew that <laughs> oh man so no more tests for you right that's it no more tests well unless i need to go to uk or u.s to study i will need to do toefl or british english i think so there is something like British Oxford exam or something, I don't know. Yeah, they got or a couple if I need, more Or if I decide to learn Chinese, or oh, sorry, no Chinese, can, Mandarin or Cantonese, I need to do HSE. That's a different one. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. So, you know, so what's one of the, and the last question, of course, what is the biggest key takeaway from the exam that you could give people who are studying either IELTS academic or IELTS general training? What is something, because again, you being, you taking the academic portion of it a while back and then now going into the general training, you have experience in both realms. What's one thing, one piece of advice that you would give to everyone out there who's studying? Uh, good question. I will break it into two pieces, actually. Sure. So um, first, understand what's the minimum uh, requirement you need to have in each section for uh, the goals that you're trying to make the minimum requirement so example uh, when i applied to canada i needed to have minimum six in each sections to get into college perfect and then assess um assess how much do you want for your ego to be satisfied in each sections so okay i want to get high in this high in this i'm okay if this is low then assess what are you really good, which sections you're really good at. So I knew I was always really good at listening. I was always really good at writing. T talking, when I was just studying academic, I was okay in talking. But reading was not my always strongest forte uh, at that part. So I, I looked back and I thought, okay, so I need to have minimum 6.0. How much training do I need? To have for each section to be 6.0 okay this much perfect then how much um, more effort am I ready to put to get the result I want okay this much and then I just get prep for it that's it and you don't freak out having those steps laid out are gonna help you to um, steadily prepare and understand um, which sections you need to focus on because if you need just overall six it's okay to have six in reading and eight in listening it doesn't mean that you you cannot read english no it's just you didn't learn the technique well enough to do that exam as long as you can camp and compensate with the areas that you feel the strongest in you're fine that would be my biggest one and that's what I tell everyone, especially if you're strong in one area, become as strong as you possibly can. Because again, it's all about the overall, unless they require a specific minimum ban in one, you know, one of the four areas. So thank you so much for coming on, Veronica. So good to see you, your face and everything about you, my Russian stallion. Thank you so much again.
for coming on. The third time, man, we're on fire right now. And uh, guys, again, if you don't already follow her, the links and everything I put in the previous podcast, as well as the one that I will put into this one. And again, this will be available on YouTube and audio form. So whichever uh, whichever way you're listening to this, man, thank you so much. And Veronica, again, thank you again. <laughs> Thanks for seeing you. You're very welcome. And guys, stay tuned for more. We're going to be speaking a lot more IELTS in the coming weeks. I'm your host, as always, over and out.